0: It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon.
1: I better get it out of the safe now.
2: All right, let's go.
3: Chester has his parka on. Can you believe it? That's how cold it's getting to be. To be be, what, Chester? Down in the 20s this week? Yeah. That's at night, though. That's okay. That's all right. We're warm and comfortable inside. Come on in, everybody. Welcome. This is Bob Rowe. Welcome to the Boomer Boulevard. This is the old-time radio podcast where we play shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. Why? because we're baby boomers. We remember shows from the 50s, from the 60s. It's uh, unbelievable that those shows were done 60, 70 years ago in some cases now. uh, Nonetheless, we remember some of them. Some of them we remember from television, but uh, many of them we do remember hearing on the radio. By the way, I sure learned a lesson last week. You folks let me know in no uncertain terms that you didn't want a lot of educational programs. And so uh, we have all very light fare tonight. We have an episode of Richard Diamond that is sort of a... I won't say a joke. It's not a joke. Well, you'll you'll see. We're going to have an episode of My Little Margie. Haven't played one of those before. And in this one, uh, she and Vern go to uh, Las Vegas, talk about that. And the episode of Gunsmoke is not a big heavy one tonight either. It's a character study, and it's a delightful episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So we've got a lot of good things lined up, so why don't you go get yourselves all comfortable and cozy, get yourselves something to drink. For those of you that are here, Chester has, what do you got over there? Hot cider. Whoa, that looks good. That looks good. What's that, a little lemon in it? Very nice, Chester. Chester. Well, help yourself to the hot cider. And uh, what do you have, scones? Mmm, boy, very good. And then come on back because we're going to get started in just a minute. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I got slammed. <laughs> Last week, we played that mutual uh, radio theater presentation about the, the sculptress. This, uh, did the famous sculpture of Lincoln, and uh, it was a biography, and I asked if you would like to hear more like this, and I mean, it was like five to one against it. You said, you don't tune in <laughs> to get educated. Well, I learned a lesson from that, folks, so don't worry about it. Tonight we have Very Light Fair, and we're going to start off with an episode of Richard Diamond written by Blake Edwards. <music> Edwards created Richard Diamond and of course uh, wrote many of the uh, the scripts. I don't know if he wrote all of them. Go in and look at them one by one. But I do know that he had a unique sense of humor and he often incorporated that into these scripts. And tonight is certainly no exception. This one was originally broadcast on NBC back on the 5th of uh, February in 1950. And it's entitled Timothy the Seal. The Seal, that's right. S-E-A-L. Timothy the Seal. I told you it was (laughs) lighthearted. So here we have uh, uh, Dick Powell as uh, Richard Diamond. And we have Ed Begley as Lieutenant Walt Levinson. And uh, pretty much an all-star cast. So this is, like I said, very lighthearted, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective.
4: Diamond, this is Walt. Where the devil are you?
5: Where I started out to be, down on River Street, looking for well, the you guy. you be right
4: there and wait for me, but you might as well stop looking. Why stop looking? Take my word for it, he's not there.
5: Well, if you're so smart, where is he?
4: The city morgue. We fished him out of the river ten minutes ago. <laughs>
1: Here's another exciting case from the files of Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell.
5: Diamond Detective Agency, first over the bars. That's nice. Oh, hello, Helen, baby. Busy? No, why? I'm
6: lonesome. Can't you
7: come
5: over? Honey, I'd love to, but you can never tell when so-
6: uh,
5: Mr. Diamond. Oh, see what I mean? Oh, customer. Well, let's see. What can I do for you?
6: Uh, I want to hire you.
5: Helen, the man wants to hire me. Okay, oh, I'll call you back. Bye. Bye. Now, uh, Mr., uh, uh... Uh, Wellington, Mr. Diamond. Hmm. Casper
6: Wellington.
5: Oh, well, pull up a couch and tell me the details, Mr. Wellington.
6: I need a bodyguard, Mr. Diamond. Why? Oh, it's not for myself. It's for Timothy.
5: Well, why does Timothy need a bodyguard?
6: Someone's trying to kill him.
5: Oh, you've been to the police? Oh,
6: yes, yes. But they feel it's not quite important enough for them.
5: You mean this Timothy's life is in danger and the police won't handle it? Yes. Isn't it ridiculous? I don't know. Has anybody tried to kill Timothy before?
6: Well, no one has exactly tried to kill him, but I very definitely expect an attempt.
5: Hmm. Now, look, uh, this uh, Timothy, is he a friend of yours? Oh, yes, a very good friend. So, what makes you think that someone is going to try to kill him?
6: Mr. Diamond, I came here to hire you to protect Timothy. I'm perfectly willing to pay you your fee, but for the moment, the rest of your questions must go unanswered.
5: Well, uh, my fee's $100 a day in expenses, Mr. Wellington. Still perfectly willing to pay it? Here's
6: the cash. Mm -hmm. And there'll be another hundred if you protect Timothy long enough for me to get him on a train tomorrow.
5: Where's he going?
6: Out of town, where he can be safe.
5: What's Timothy's last name?
6: That will also have to go unanswered.
5: Oh, well, now wait a minute. Supposing I do take the job, where do I meet this Timothy? How will I know him?
6: If you take the job... He'll be in your office in a matter of minutes.
5: Well, something sure doesn't ring up right, but the 200 fish in expenses, I'd play footsies with a cobra.
6: Good. Now, I'm going down to the train station to pick up Timothy's ticket. When he arrives, I expect you to remain with him constantly.
5: Until tomorrow? Oh, I got a small apartment. I hate the bundle.
6: Don't let him out of your sight for a moment. I want him alive and well when he gets on that train in the morning.
5: Does he play Pachisi?
6: Well, I doubt it, but you never can tell.
5: He might like it. Hmm, dandy.
6: Have him at Grand Central at 8 o'clock. I'll meet you.
5: Do you know of any way I could possibly learn to hate money?
6: If I did, I would never have come to you. Uh, good day, Mr. Diamond.
5: Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Atlantic Bone and Fertilizer. Oh, that's a pet. Just wondering how a new business would work out.
8: Now what's wrong?
5: Uh, I have a very unhealthy feeling that I've just let myself in for something I won't like.
7: Oh, the
5: client? Well, kind of. I've got a guard, a friend of his.
7: What's the matter
5: with that? Oh, I'm not going all through that again. The client just came on like Secret Service. I got the name of the guy he wants guarded, and I know that someone's going to try and kill him. And that's it.
8: Rick, you be careful.
5: Honey, honey, the client shoved 200 bucks in my rural hot hand. Oh, good. What do you want me to do? I'm trying for capitalists this year.
4: Didn't your client go to the police first?
5: Sure. He went to the police, but
9: then... Hey, you.
4: Me?
8: What?
4: Yeah, you... Rick, are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening. Put down the phone, friend. We want to talk to you.
8: Well, if you're listening, why don't you answer my question? If your client went to the police...
4: That's better. Well, now, I'm a sport, especially when someone's got a gun pointed at me. Oh, the gun ain't gonna hurt you, chum, if you answer a couple of questions. Where's Casper Wellington? Who? You gonna be difficult?
5: Look, you got a gun on me. Who wants to be difficult?
4: You don't know Casper Wellington, friend? Uh, never heard of him. We've seen him come into the building.
5: No, so you figured he came to see me It's such a small building, only about a hundred offices.
2: Oh, that's pretty funny.
5: Glad you liked it.
2: No, but we didn't. You're the only private detective in the building. We figured maybe Casper wanted to hire you.
4: What would he want to hire me for? What did this guy do? How do you like that, George? Now he's a nosy comic. Mm. Durante gets away with it. Friend, I have just decided your humor bores me. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty bad, ain't it, Tony? Suppose we push his face around, huh?
10: Maybe he don't feel like no more jokes.
5: Oh, now, wait a minute. I don't know anything about this Casper or whatever his name is. What good's it going to do to work me over? Well, now, you see,
2: Tony and me got real nasty dispositions. We've been crossed, and then you make with the jokes. We don't like being the only ones unhappy, so... We think maybe you ought to join. Right, no, now, look. Uh, hold on a second, George. What for? He's a set-up.
4: Oh, wait. We mess him up, the law comes. We got to find Casper. We ain't got no time to play patty-cake with the cops. Uh, I just want to cross the mouth. Forget it. Look, friend, you sure Casper Wellington didn't come in here? I couldn't be more positive. Okay. Put down the rod, George. That uh, don't look so unhappy. Maybe the shamus is lying. We catch him telling the fib, just think of the fun you can have later on, huh? Come on. We'll leave him? Yeah. So long, friend. And uh, for your sake, I hope you've been leveling. Yeah. See you around. Yeah, bye. this hmm. is
5: now, you
11: listen to me, Richard Diamond. The next time you hang up on me, but I'll Helen, never speak to you again. But... but you better have a pretty good excuse for doing it this time. But he- You know I take a lot of things from you, Rick, but never, never once have you hung up on me. Helen, please. And I
8: think it was rude and inconsiderate. Helen. And I want to know right now, this minute, just what kind of a poor, lame
11: brain excuse you're going to come up with. Helen! Well?
5: Now, look, baby, I don't know what's going on. This is like doing business in a roundhouse. The only reason I hung up on you was because two guys stole in here and shoved guns in my face. Rick! And they were looking for the guy who came in earlier and hired me to look after someone named Timothy that I haven't even seen yet.
7: It sounds awfully confusing. It is.
5: Oh, hold the phone. Here's somebody else. Come in with your hands up.
4: You Richard Diamond? Yep. You got a crank here addressed to
5: you. Oh, that figures. Bring it in. Helen... You sent me maybe a present?
8: No. You want me to?
5: Yeah, but someone's beating you to it. Where do you want it? Good grief. Put it down right there. What's the matter? The present. The biggest crate you ever saw. A crate? What's in it? How do I know?
4: Well, open it. Okay, Mr. Diamond, stand right here.
5: Yeah. There you are.
4: I hope you still be very happy.
5: Helen. Hmm. Hold the phone. I'm going to open this thing.
7: All
5: right. Oh, no. Oh, get away. Get away. Now, get on. Get on. Don't come up here. Don't. 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 Oh, Helen.
7: Rick, what in the world's the
8: matter?
5: Helen, if this is your idea of a joke... Please. What can't you hear it?
8: Well, I heard something, but I thought you must have eaten your lunch too fast.
5: Well, I'm standing on my desk trying to fight off a monster. What? Call up Charles Adams right away. A
8: monster?
5: Yes. I'd swear it was a seal, but I know my friend's better than that. This thing has got to be poisonous. A
7: seal.
8: Yes,
5: a seal. Hey, he's not so bad. He's applauding. <laughs> You must have liked that remark about Adams.
8: Now you stop it. Do you expect me to believe all
5: this? Uh, she doubts you, fella. Say a few words.
8: Rick, who in the world would send
4: you
7: a seal?
5: I don't even need to look. This has got to be Timothy. Oh, it is Timothy. When he heard his name, he made like a curtain call.
12: Sounds like one Richard Diamond.
5: Hey, that's pretty... nothing. I'll call you back.
12: Where are you going?
5: I'm going to take Timothy right back to Mr. Casper Wellington and tell him that... Yes? Oh, for the love of... I don't know where to find Mr. Casper Wellington. Well, there it was. It was pretty silly. The smart, shrewd, level headed Richard Diamond, for the sake of a couple of hundred fast bucks, winds up playing nursemaid and companion to a honking seal. Just to make sure it was Timothy, I took a look at the crate, and there on top was a small printed card. It read, This is Timothy. If you want him to do something, throw him a fish. Herring. Signed Casper Wellington. Well, that tore it. My temper was already pushing my hair up to attention, so I went out to the nearest delicatessen and came back with a bag of fish. With this, I lured Timothy out of the building and down in the street. I had to find Casper Wellington, so 60 pedestrians and one unhappy cabbie later, Timothy and I stole casually into the Fifth Precinct Police Station. Well, <coughs> oh, well, hello, Sergeant Otis. Oh, how are you, Shamus? <coughs> Huh? Huh? What? What'd you just say? I said hello, Sergeant Otis.
4: No, after
5: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Something wrong, Sergeant?
7: Yes.
5: Otis, Otis, say hello to Timothy. Timothy, this is Sergeant Otis.
4: Lieutenant, lieutenant.
5: Go on and kiss the sergeant, Timothy. Go on. Oh
4: no, no, no! Get him away from me! Get
5: him away! Oh, Otis, he's not so bad. Lieutenant. Help! Now, Otis, come down off that desk. You look sillier than I did. Help, he's try to eat me. Help! Oh, be quiet. You too, Timothy. You'll wake up the lieutenant. Here's a fish. Throw it to Timothy.
4: that's to you, Diamond. You'll probably take my arm along with it. Hey, get away. Get away. Help! What the devil is going on out here? Otis, what are you doing up there? Hey, hello, Walt. What are you doing to my sergeant? And you shut up, Otis? That wasn't me. What do you mean? It wasn't you. Of course it was you.
5: Walt, meet Timothy. How do you? <laughs> I didn't think what would happen if someone wandered in here with a walrus. Come on, Timothy. Let's go see the brave old head of homicide. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Get him out of here.
5: Oh, relax, Otis. Timothy's as scared as you are.
4: Uh, Oh, yeah, what makes you say
5: that? He's probably thinking there's more like you. That would be a horrible shock to anyone, even the seal. Oh. Come on, Timothy. Uh, you get that thing out of here right now, Diamond. Everybody's standing on something. you think it was a steam bath. Up till
13: now, I've had two reported homicides and a couple of fat robberies. And if you think you're going to wander in here with that thing and
14: confuse the whole department, you're mistaken. Now, get it out of here.
13: Oh,
5: Walt, it's only a seal. Have a fish. I'm not hungry. No, no, Walt. It's for Timothy. Feed it to him. He'll, he'll love you. Yeah? Do you think so? Sure, sure, Walt. Go ahead. Try it. Okay. <coughs> here, Timothy. <coughs> Hey, he's applauding. Sure, he's a nice little fella. Now, climb down and help me. Uh, give me another fish. Oh, won't come down without it, huh? Okay, well, speak. Oh, don't be ridiculous. I want to feed it to Timothy. He likes me. <coughs> See? Oh, lovely. Why don't you two get engaged? Oh. La, 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 la. Well, after everybody got used to him, Timothy made the rounds of the whole department with the commissioner being the only exception, of course. I told Walt the story about Casper Wellington and the two gondiffs who had come into my office looking for him. So Walt put Otis to work checking on the whereabouts of my missing client. Along about three in the afternoon, Otis pounced in with some news. Uh, hey, Diamond. You find something?
4: Oh, hi, Timothy.
15: <coughs> yeah, uh...
4: Say, I checked with the Humane Society, and they report some guy who lives down by the docks. The name's Wellington, all right. He's been turned in a couple of times because he raises seals, and they make a lot of noise. Oh, uh, and Lieutenant, we just got a report on another homicide.
0: Well,
5: thanks, Sporty. You tell the Lieutenant all about it, Otis. I'm going after Casper Wellington. What's the address?
4: Uh, here it is. 918 River Street. Come on, Tim. <coughs> Goodbye, Timothy. Otis! Uh. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, what was I saying? Homicide. Remember? Just a little old homicide.
5: I left Walden Otis climbing over the furniture and headed for the address of Casper Wellington. Timothy and I grabbed the first cabbie who didn't believe what he was seeing and 20 minutes later we pulled up in front of a building on River Street. Thanks, cabbie.
6: Yeah, sure.
5: Thank the man, Timothy. <coughs>
6: uh, mister. Yeah. I didn't ask you nothing when you got in the cab because I just didn't believe it. Is that a seal you got with you?
5: You're expecting maybe a raccoon? Do
6: you always take him around with you like that?
5: Sure, we're brothers. Probably right by the house sometime for dinner when Mom isn't taking a swim. Hmm. She's not a very good driver, is he, Timothy? You know it. Come on,
4: you're going home. Hold it her right here, friend. Hmm? You hide him. This is a gun in your back. Oh, yeah. Oh, you lied to me, friend. I'll go stand in the corner. Nah, don't move. Okay. George, grab the seal. Oh, yeah. now, wait a minute. Wait
5: a minute. You can't do that. want
4: to bet. Come here, you. Take your hands off that seal. Shut your mouth, friend. <clears throat> Next time you don't get it across the neck, I'll give you the rod on the skull. Okay, friend. I got him. All right, get him in a car. And you, stay put. One bad move, you're going to get shot up very bad. Yeah.
7: Come
4: on, George. You got that thing in the car? Yeah, You saying let's get out of here. All right, friend. Yeah. You uh, see this? I got pointed at you. I see. Good. Forget about today, you won't see it again. Open that big yap of yours and it goes boom. Now turn around, because when we leave it, I don't want you looking back for no license number.
7: <laughs>
5: Well, I stood there while they drove off with poor little Timothy. Then I made a quick dash across the street into a store with a phone booth. Seconds later, I was hearing one of the most beautiful sounds in the world. Diamond, this is Walt. Where the devil are you? Where I started out to be, down on River Street, looking for my client.
4: Well, you stay right there and wait for me, but you might as well stop looking.
5: Well, why stop looking? His house is just down at the end of the block.
4: Well, take my word for it. He isn't there.
5: Well, if you're so smart, where is he?
4: The city morgue. We fished him out of the river ten minutes ago. What? He was suffering from a hole in his chest
5: dead before he was tossed in. Oh, Walt, Walt. Remember those two guys who came into my office earlier? Yeah. Well, they just put the snatch on Timothy and belted me across the neck for my trouble. They
7: swiped the seal? Yeah,
5: so get on here. I'll meet you at Casper Wellington's house. Anybody in the house, Rick? Well, no answer. Well, let's case the place. I've got a skeleton key. Go Walt. Walt. It's open. See? Now, if you'll notice as I walk in, at no time do my feet leave my legs. Very funny. Whew. Yeah, smells like somebody's been cooking up a fish stew. Crummy joint. Ooh, get a load of that kitchen. What a mess. Oh, uh, weren't cooking fish, Walt, just cleaning it. There's still a mess of them left on the sink. Well, Casper raised seals. Where are the rest of them? Come on. Yeah? Come here. What is it? Get a look at this backyard. Holy cow. Bunch of dead seals. Who in the world would do anything like that? Maybe uh, two friends. Hey,
4: what's this? What's what? This bag on the floor. Leather bag.
5: What's in it? Nothing. Wait a minute. Some kind of dust at the bottom. Well, save it. We'll have it analyzed when we get down to the station. We've got to check up on those two guys who kidnapped Timothy. This is the craziest case. I got a hunch. Sure, it's crazy. But if I'm right, it's also pretty smart. Let's go to the station.
4: Uh, hey, Lieutenant. Yeah, Otis? Uh, we just got something else on that Casper Wellington guy. Oh? What did he steal? Hey, how'd you know? Just a guess. Well, what is it, Hammerhead? Well, oh, uh, it uh, seems this Wellington guy works at, uh, uh, I mean, used to work for David and Sons. David and Sons? Uh, diamond importers. Oh, that ties it. Would somebody
5: mind telling me what the devil this is all about? And, Rick, you stay out of it. Now, Otis, what about Wellington? Wellington? Oh, he ran off with a load of diamonds. Yeah, 50,000 bucks worth. Hey, but you... Do... Rick, will you please, for the sake of my sour stomach, tell me exactly what it is you know? I'd be glad to, Lieutenant. It's very simple. Wellington comes to me and asks me to guard Timothy. Two guys kidnapped Timothy. That we heard. Then we find a bunch of dead seals in Wellington's backyard and the remains of a pile of clean fish. So? So, the two guys who kidnapped Timothy were obviously after something, and the seal was part
4: of it. Hey, maybe Timothy wasn't the seal after all. Now, what would he be, Otis? Well, if those guys wanted him that bad, maybe he was a mink. Oh,
5: Uh, that bag you picked up, Walt. Have that powder in the bottom analyzed. I'll lay six, to and even it's diamond dust. Well, you think... Yeah, yeah, I think Timothy's got a stomach full of diamonds. What? I think Casper was mixed up with the two guys who grabbed the seal, but in some way crossed them. Why? I... He had to hide the loot, so he stuck it in some fish and fed it to Timothy. Then he left Timothy with me for protection until he could get him shipped out on the train.
4: And in the meantime, the two guys who found Casper killed
5: him and went back to his house to find the loot. Mm-hmm. They figured out the fish like you did and killed the seals in the backyard trying to find the stuff. You, my friend, went a herring. Otis... Have the powder in the bottom of this bag analyzed. Put out a 108 on Timothy. Yes, sir. Diamond here will give you the description of the guys who grabbed him. We'll never find him that way. Ah, You got a better idea? Maybe, yeah. Look, you said those two guys killed Casper and then went right over to the house to look for the missing diamonds. Yes. All right, they knew where to look, but they didn't find anything. So they waited for me and Timothy. So? So Casper Wellington probably told them all about it before they killed him, trying to save his own life. All right, I'll buy that. So what? So by now they must know how hot those diamonds are. They're certainly not going to try to get rid of them here in town. And then they leave town. Yeah. And with that much loot, it would be a little risky if they tried by car. All right, all right. How do they do it? The same way Casper thought of. Ship Timothy out on a train. Wait a minute, Rick. Otis. Yeah? Put in a call to all units. Tell them to cover the airports, train, and bus stations. Be on the lookout for a seal that's about to be shipped. Come on, Walt. Where to? Well, as long as Casper Wellington already made the arrangements by train, let's get on to Grand Central. Maybe our two seal nappers will keep the reservation. (laughs) Well, Walt and I piled in the squad car again. And 20 minutes later, we were standing in the middle of Grand Central Station with a bag of fish and a weather eye out for the missing seal and his two abductors. Now, where do we start? Well, Walt, why don't you just go ask information? Just say, I'm looking for two men and a seal. The seal is hiding $50,000 worth of diamonds.
4: Now, you stop that. This was plenty silly before a jewel robbery and a homicide get into the picture, but now it's gotten ridiculous. Well, if
5: I was a seal, where would I go? i have to crate him. The shipping department. And so, with their trusty bag of fish, the two brave detectives walked nonstop. shut up and let's go.
4: Oh, no,
7: come on. Let's go get something.
5: Well, smile, Walt. This kind of case doesn't happen but once every 10,000 years. Think of your report to the commissioner. If you don't stop kidding with me, so help me out. Hey, Walt. now what? Look, those two guys. Where? Going down the ramp. Oh, got a big box. That's it. Let's take them. You said they got guns. We're pointing things that shot bullets. Could be guns. Take it easy. They're going up to that counter. Yeah. Hold it. Hold it here. No sense in starting a shooting match. Too many people. Well, what do we do? Maybe the seal's not in the box. And if I pick them up without the loot, we may never find it. I got an idea. Go ahead, genius. Timothy likes fish, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, take this bag. They know me, so you walk down there and move in close to the box. Timothy's bound to get a whiff, and if I know Timothy, he'll raise a few flippers. You want me to... You want to get those diamonds, don't you? Oh, give me the... Don't snap. People will just think you ran out of cologne. Now get going. Yeah. Uh, Pardon me, but I'd like to find out about sending something.
4: Oh,
10: yeah? Well, what's the idea, Buster? We was here first.
4: Shut up, stupid. You boys must be really sending something big. You're too I told you to shut up. Yeah, yeah, some uh, some furs. Oh, live ones.
10: Hey, Tiny, what's with the seal? Will you shut up? What? I hate to mention it,
4: but your furs are throwing a fit.
10: I, he's busting loose. Grab him, will you? Okay, boys, that's all I wanted to know. Let's take a seal. It's gone after the sack. This guy laid down It's a sack full of fish. Hey, what's the idea? What's the law. Stay right there. Hey, Rick. Cops, who are you? All Rick. right, Bud, drop it. Huh? I said drop it. <laughs> okay. Okay.
4: It's taking me. Look out, Rick. This guy's got a gun. Ah, ah! Lego! Lego, my hand! Will you get the seal off? He's chewing my hand off. And drop the gun. All right, all right. Get him off. Come on. Get him off. <laughs> ah. well, how do you like that? Oh. Timothy grabbed this gun up by the gun hand and made him drop it. I'll be uh. done. Crazy seal nearly killed me. You and your bright <laughs> idea. Ship the seal, you ship. Ah, well, okay, you're...
5: boys. Here's a bracelet for you. Let's go outside. Uh, Walt, Walt, wait a minute. We gotta get the jewels. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll take care of these two guys and I'll take Timothy to a good veterinary. Okay. Uh, uh Walt. Yeah? If it means surgery, keep in touch. Sure. Bye, Timothy.
6: Don't be unhappy. Oh, how can
5: I help it, honey? I... He's been in surgery for nearly an hour.
6: Oh, but he'll be all right. They got a good vet.
5: Oh, I hope so. I was getting attached to that seal. Oh, I got it. Yeah? Rick? Yeah, Walt. Yeah. How's Timothy? He had the diamonds in them all right. Oh, but how is he? Well, uh, go ahead, Walt. You can tell me. I, I, I can stand it. He's very weak. Oh, what's the matter? He was such a happy seal. I think he misses you, Rick. Every time someone mentions your name, he kind of honks and raises a weak flipper. I better come right down. He's sinking fast. Oh, you think maybe if you heard my voice... Uh, uh, can you get a phone near him? Yeah, yeah, wait a minute. Okay, I got it next to his ear. Say something. Hello, Timothy. <coughs> oh, Walt. Yeah? Walt, ask him if he's seen a picture called Mrs. Mike. <coughs> He says he saw it. Didn't like the leading man.
4: Loved Evelyn Keys.
5: Oh. Ask him if he liked the music.
4: Yeah, he liked that.
5: Well, put the receiver next to his ear and I'll sing him the theme song. Well, go ahead and try. Anything in case of an emergency.
16: If her name Is Kathy, she's mine alone. When I walk with Kathy, proud am I. She's the girl I'll marry, and cross the threshold I'll carry, and I'll love but Kathy. Till I die She's the only angel I've ever known She's a maid No man is worthy of Although girls are to her there is no...
5: Timothy, that a boy. I guess the singing did it. What do you mean, you guess? When I sang with the Peter Pan Five, we played two weeks at the Carl Gables Hotel in Florida. So what? So what? I'll have you know, five minutes after I opened my mouth, every seal and the Biscayne keys came in and sat ringside. That sounds like a pretty good act. What'd you give it up for? Well, I got a sore throat one night, and the place was up to its ears in alligators. Rick. Yes, Wall? Bye. <laughs>
1: You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Ed Begley played Lieutenant Walt Levinson. Also in the cast were Wilms Herbert, Faye Baker, Junius Matthews, Billy Bletcher, Tony Barrett, and Larry Dobkin. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Richard Diamond is written by Blake Edwards and directed by Russell Hughes. Dick Powell currently may be seen in the motion picture version of best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. Isn't that
5: right, Dick? Yeah, 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 that's right, Eddie. Oh, by the way, Ed Begley, who plays Lieutenant Levinson on our show, would like to say a few words to his old friends in Hartford, Connecticut. Well, I just want to say on behalf of all of us here on Richard Diamond, congratulations to radio station WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut, where I got my start in radio and which this week celebrates its
2: 25th anniversary of service to the people of southern New England.
1: Thank you, Ed Begley. Now this is Eddie King inviting you to be with us next Sunday at this same time when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. What's on NBC today? You'll hear Charles Boyer and Dorothy McGuire today on Theater Guild on the Air in Autumn Crocus. And there's the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show to add to your Sunday listening pleasure. Be sure to hear Charles Boyer and Dorothy McGuire on Theater Guild on the Air and the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show today on NBC. You're tuned for The Stars on NBC.
3: That was Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective, as originally heard on NBC back on the 2nd, no, excuse me, the 5th of February in 1950. Pretty good. Pretty good show. I told you it wasn't too serious. They had a little fun with us there about uh, Timothy the Seal. I can't say that any of that would have been very realistic, but I don't understand why if you fed this sealed diamonds and then you wanted to get rid of it, you would feel the need to put it on a train. I don't know why you just wouldn't put it in a box in a truck and get it out of town. I would think it would be easier to search whatever trains are leaving than it would be to search every car leaving uh, New York. But anyway, be that as it may, we had fun with that. That was uh, written again by Blake Edwards and he did the Pink Panther. Among other great films that he did and screenplays, and did a lot of writing for the early days of radio and television as well. Just a couple notes on this one. Uh, Dick Powell, you notice he always liked to sing there at the end. Or not always, but often he would sing a song at the end of his show. That's because he was sort of considered a singer. He was born in Arkansas. You would never, I, I don't picture him from Arkansas. But he was born in Mountain View, Arkansas, where I, I have been there. And that's sort of like a resort town up in the northern part of Arkansas. Uh, near the, There's a lake there. What, what lake is that? Table Rock? Not Table Rock Lake. Um, Bull Shoals? No. Well, anyway, there's a big lake there. He was born in 1904. He was, so that means he was 10 years older than my father. And from a very early age, his mother encouraged him and his three brothers to, uh, well, or two brothers, there was three boys in the family, to uh, learn music. And Dick Powell learned to play the piano at age eight. His family moved around a little bit, but they moved to Little Rock in 1914, where he became quite active musically. He sang at various churches. He sang at the Masonic Lodge. And a lot of times he, he would be paid for it even the very respectable sum of $10 to $15 for each one of his performances. He also sang, of course, in high school and many productions they did there. He learned to play several instu- instruments. Did you know that he, he could play the cornet, the clarinet, and the saxophone as well as the, the piano? And it was while attending Little Rock Junior College, which is now the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, he organized a dance band, Now, did you notice him referring to that tonight? He said, "Uh, I was with the Peter Pan Five down in, uh, where was it? Southern Florida someplace. And the name of his band was called The Peter Pan. So how about that? After graduation, he married his longtime sweetheart, Mildred. But she did uh, not like him being in show business and having show business aspirations. And tried to talk him out of it, and they ended up divorcing in 1927. Powell was married twice more, both times to actresses. He was married to Joan Blondell from 1936 to 1944, and then he married the love of his life, June Allison, in 1945. And that marriage lasted until his death in 1963 at the young age of 58. Now, let me ask you this if you know of somebody dying, at age 58, in 1953, what did they die of? Yeah, lung cancer. He was indeed a smoker. A couple things he mentioned in there. He mentioned the movie Mrs. Mike. That came out in uh, 1949. It starred uh, Powell and Evelyn Keys, and uh, Dick Powell played a Mountie. Plotline says while visiting her uncle in Alberta, Boston-born Cathy O'Fallon meets Canadian Mountie Mike Flanagan. They fall in love, marry, and go north to Mike's new posting. And there they run into all sorts of problems and hardships and so on and so forth. I don't know. Might have been a pretty good movie. Came out, like I said, in 1940 or 49. So this show was broadcast in February of 1950. So that's why he was promoting it. Oh, what else? I had some other notes on him. One other thing Blake Edwards used to do would be to let us in on little inside jokes, oftentimes in his scripts, like, well, like uh, promoting a movie, for instance, or sometimes uh, in one episode, I remember Dick Powell said his favorite actress, or Richard Diamond said his favorite actress was June Allison, that sort of thing. Did you notice how he said tonight, uh, I forget what it was he said, but someone corrected him, and he said, well, Durante would get away with it. So he was making a little inside plug there to Jimmy Durante. Uh, I have a, a lot of, Dick, of these um, Richard Diamond episodes that I've recently acquired, and they're all in really good sound quality. So we will be playing more of these as we face the weeks ahead.
17: Little seal, I swim with mommy, I live in the cold and walk on my tummy. I was born with white fur. Ho 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 ho. So that you can see me in the snow, in the snow. I have a coat of blubber, keeps me warm. My mommy protects me from the storm. La la la, 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 la la la.
10: Something familiar,
13: something
10: peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing,
14: something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with clowns.
18: Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing with pretentious or polite. Ready, Ready tomorrow, tomorrow comedy tonight.
3: <laughs> well, tonight on our Comedy Corner, we're going to visit with my little Margie. And this is the first time we've played My Little Margie on the show, so uh, most of us, if, we're, if you're a baby boomer, remember My Little Margie, probably from television. My Little Margie was on both CBS and NBC between 1952 and 1955. The series was created by Frank Fox and produced at the Hal Roach Studios by uh, Hal Roach Jr. and Roland D. Reed. The show premiered on CBS as the summer replacement for I Love Lucy in, um, I guess that would be in 1952. And it was sponsored by who else? Philip Morris Cigarettes, wouldn't you know. The series then moved uh, to NBC for its uh, its final season, which was its third season. And that was in the fall of 1953. And at that time, the Scott Paper Company. Uh, took over sponsorship. In an unusual move, now I've been talking about the TV series, but in an unusual move, this series, with the very same leading actors, aired original episodes on CBS radio concurrently with the TV broadcasts. And that was from December 52 through August of 1955. According to uh, one source on Wikipedia, there are only 23 known episodes still available or circulating from the radio show. And I always go to my uh, source for, I think, the best information on old-time radio, and that's Jerry Hendegas. And in his collection, he only has 12 of the episodes available. The show had one difference in casting. On the TV show... Mrs. Odets, who lived across the hall and was an old woman who was good friends with Margie and Vern Albright. Margie Albright, of course, is a young single woman living still with her father, who is some sort of an executive at a company, and they live in New York City. Uh, Vern is single. I assume Margie's mother died at some point, And he is quite a ladies' man, and he is uh, a man about town. And so Margie and Vern are constantly (laughs) trying to, um, oh, what should I say, referee each other's love life. And you'll kind of see that in the episode we're going to listen to tonight. But across the hall lived Mrs. Odette. And she was an old woman. On radio, she was played by Verna Felton, that perennial actress that was in so many things and had that great voice. We've talked about her in the past. But on television, she was played by a woman named Gertrude Hoffman, who was a German actress who had been born in 1871 and moved to Hollywood at age 60. Can you imagine that? She moved there to, uh, to continue a film career at age 60. And she lived to the ripe old age of 96. She was uh, living in Hollywood at the time of her death in 1968. But Verna Felton plays uh, Mrs. Odets on the radio, and she was so good. I don't know why they didn't have her play her on TV, too. They only had some uh, conflicts. I know that at about that time, she was playing Dennis Day's mother on his show. She was also on um, a number of radio shows, uh, but also in a number of TV shows. She was in December Bride, which started right around that time. Although I think My Little Margie started earlier than December Bride. By the way, I, w- I would swear I heard Verna Felton in the first show we listened to, the Richard Diamond. But what's ironic is the voice, which I swear was hers, was that of Mr. Wellington Casper, the fellow that was killed and that hired Richard Diamond to find his seal and then was later murdered. And I'm going to take a clip from that show and I'm going to compare it to Verna Felton in this show. We'll do that at the end of My Little Margie. All right, enough talk. Here we go. Let's listen to My Little Margie starring Gail Storm and Charles Farrell, who I always thought pronounced his name Charles Farrell. And this is from March the 13th, 1955, and it's entitled
9: "Misguided Missile. My Little Margie, starring Gale Storm and Charles Farrell, transcribed in Hollywood. (laughs) In the Albright apartment high above Park Avenue today, Margie and her father are busy making plans. Vern has a few days off, and he and Margie are trying to decide where to spend them. Um, Margie, let's fly down to Bermuda... The swimming is great there this time of year.
8: No, thanks. It's awfully dangerous on the beach.
19: Why, the sharks come too close?
8: No, the wolves go too far.
19: Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
8: Oh, here's a travel folder from a dude ranch in Arizona. They've got both hiking and horseback riding at this resort.
19: Hiking and horseback riding?
8: Mm-hmm. Guests who travel on foot and guests who ride horses.
19: Yes, sir. One man's blisters, another man's callous. <laughs> <laughs>
8: You're not interested in a dude ranch, I take
19: it. I'm not interested in a dude ranch. You got it. Boy, I wish I had more time. I'd really go places. Ah, to be in Paris during the Spring Festival. Ah, to be in Holland during the Tulip Festival.
20: Ah, to be in Hoboken during the Pizza Festival. Mrs. Odette. Your friendly neighbor.
19: Mrs. Odette, you've been spying on us again.
20: Oh, I don't know. There's two ways of looking at it.
19: Yeah, through the keyhole and over the transom.
20: (laughs) So you want to go away for a few days, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Dad and I'd like to take
8: a little trip somewhere.
20: Oh, I'll never forget a trip I once made. I went from Chicago to Cleveland, then back to Chicago, then on to Pittsburgh, then back to Chicago, and then... wait a minute. Why'd you keep rushing back to Chicago? My suspenders were caught on the Wrigley building.
19: (laughs) Your suspenders? You don't wear suspenders.
20: Have you ever seen me in slack?
19: Heaven forbid. I couldn't tell you from the Wrigley building.
20: Well, now, if you'll permit me, I'll suggest
8: a place to visit: Hollywood. Oh, it's wonderful. Have you ever been there? Yes, and it is wonderful. The minute I stepped off the train, I was walking on air. Walking on air? Yes. The porter forgot to put the stool down. <laughs> Well,
19: Hollywood is a thought. Would you
13: like to go to... Hi, everybody.
8: Oh, hi there, Freddie. Am I interrupting anything?
19: Yes, you
13: are.
8: Dad and I are planning a little trip for a few days. Travel, huh?
13: Boy, I wish I could travel.
8: Why can't you?
13: Well, if a trip around the world cost a buck, I couldn't even get out of sight. Well, (laughs) Here's two bucks. Stay out of sight. (laughs) Mr. Albright, I am going to ignore that remark, even though I am a sensitive type of youth. Have you decided where you're going,
8: Margie? Well, we were thinking of California.
13: California? Mm -hmm. When you can go to Las Vegas? (coughs) Fabulous, romantic, glamorous Las Vegas. It's the only place where you can come away with a small fortune.
7: (laughs) Yeah,
19: if you went there with a big one.
7: (laughs) You know,
20: Las Vegas does sound attractive. Think of the nightlife there And all the movie stars And
13: all the big shows and the fancy swimming pools Boy, if I was gone, that's where I'd go
19: Well, for suggesting the ideal spot for our trip I'm rewarding you by taking you along, too Oh, boy
8: Gee, Dad, you're aces
19: uh, In Las Vegas, that's a good thing to be
20: <laughs> uh, Mr. Allwright, would you mind if I went along, too? of paying my own way, of course.
19: Oh, not at all, Mrs. Odette. Glad to have you.
20: Thank you. You know, I've never seen modern Las Vegas, although I was there once before the town got so big. I remember I got a traffic ticket there.
19: Oh, what for? For double parking your covered wagon? <laughs>
8: Dad, this hotel is simply beautiful. And look, you can see the gambling casino at the other end of the lobby.
7: Mm,
19: It's full, too. Everybody gambles in this town.
8: You know, it cost $7 million to build this hotel. Yeah, and they made it back in the first two hours.
19: Come on, let's register. Okay. Oh, uh, oh, young man, are you the desk clerk? Well, I'm filling in. the regular clerk was given a day off by the management he's terribly broken up he lost his wife last night oh oh that's a shame i'm i'm
17: sorry oh it's not too bad tonight he might win her
7: back
17: (laughs) now then who would like the register first
13: me would you like a room with a shower no i prefer a bed i can't sleep standing
14: up Well, it looks like you're doing very well right now.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's very good. Dad, you register for Mrs. Odette's and me. I'll look around for a bellhop with one of those little wagons for our luggage. Okay. Oh, there's one. Oh, bellhop, would you bring me a wagon?
21: Not a bellhop. I'm a lieutenant in the Air Force.
8: (laughs) Well, in that case, bring me a plane.
21: Well, I'd love to, honey. You and I could really fly.
8: For a pilot, you're kind of cute.
21: Oh, it's really just a uniform. Without these brass buttons, I'm... Well, I'm really much handsomer.
8: Are you stationed nearby?
21: Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm at the new air base and guided missile center in the desert. Where can I get hold of you?
8: I don't know. I'm awfully ticklish. <laughs> <laughs>
21: oh, now you're just kidding. Look, I'm, I'm Lieutenant Bruce Howard.
8: Oh, oh, Margie, we're all registered. Uh, not, ri- uh, not right now, Dad. I'll see you later.
21: Come on, beautiful. Let's you find ourselves a couple of chairs out in the sunshine. We'll sit down and hold hands.
8: Hold hands? Well,
21: I've got to put you through some sort of basic training for tonight. <laughs>
8: There won't be any sunshine tonight.
21: I'm counting on that.
8: <laughs> Bruce, I'd love to see the base where you're stationed.
21: Oh, sure, as soon as they finish final construction. The men are all excited about a new contest they've got. They're going to elect a girl, Miss Guided Missile.
8: Miss Guided Missile?
21: Yeah. Say, I'll bet you could get elected boy what an idea look let me submit your picture you're beautiful enough to win in a breeze
8: you're sure you're not just shooting the breeze (laughs) oh no no
21: really on the level the election's next saturday
8: oh that's a shame dad's going back to new york on tuesday
21: oh can't you persuade
8: him to stay on well he won't just because i'm in a contest wait there's only one thing that'll keep him here a beautiful girl and i'm going to find him that girl
21: swell and you're a cinch to be misguided missile until i see you tonight you'll uh, you'll be running through my mind
8: <laughs> i'll have to i wouldn't dare walk <laughs>
9: Well, Margie figures Vern will stay on in Las Vegas if she introduces him to a beautiful girl. The problem is, what girl? It's the next day now, and we find Margie with Mrs. Odette's near the swimming pool.
8: Want to come in for a swim, Mrs. Odette? Oh, no, thanks, Margie. They have
20: such a beautiful bridle path here. I think I'll go riding. I didn't know you could ride. Oh, sure. When I traveled in Africa, that's how I got around. I used to ride side saddle. Uh, that's a sissy way. <gasps> On an elephant?
8: <laughs> but, Mrs. Odette, they don't
20: have elephants here. Well, that's funny. There was a man in the cocktail lounge last night who said the place was full of them. <laughs> Pink
7: ones.
8: <laughs> yes, and I suppose he... Hey, Mrs. Odette's look. Hmm? That girl coming toward us. Now, there's a girl Dad could get interested in. <laughs> I don't see anything about her that it would interest a man. All she's got is
20: a beautiful face and a gorgeous figure and lovely hair. After all, what has she got that if I had, I wouldn't know what to do with anyway, so she can keep. Her...
7: <laughs>
20: Mrs. Odette, you're priceless. Pardon
22: me. I see you've been in swimming. How's the water? Nice
8: Ah, this place is so dull I wish I could find a man Hmm, step into my parlor Said the spider to the fly What? Uh, Shakespeare Oh, Oh, I'm Sheila Grant How do you do, Miss Shakespeare?
22: (laughs)
7: Uh,
20: Excuse me, Margie I'm going Uh, Where to? To the cocktail lounge I
8: want to see some Pink
7: ones
8: (laughs) (laughs) Miss Grant, did you say you wanted to find a man? Sure Say, would you know of a man for me? I think so You know, you have to be so careful
22: these days Is this guy the kind who would hold my hand right away And and start telling me what a gorgeous figure I have And and then try to figure out how to get me into his convertible for a moonlight drive and, And then start hinting that he wants to neck Oh,
8: no So, keeping that kind's no fun. (laughs) Oh, fun! You want fun? Then this boy's for you. He's more fun than a clam at a people bake.
22: Oh, Vernie Kins, I'm so glad your daughter introduced
19: us. Now, so am I, Sheila Kins. <laughs> I love to dance with you. Oh, mm, naturally, I'm a sizzling dancer. I'm known as Vern the Hotfoot. <laughs>
22: <laughs> Gee, you're fun. And you have such a handsome physique.
19: How do you do it? Mm, exercise. Every morning, I go one, two, up, down, one, two, up, down, and then I start on the other eyebrow.
22: <laughs> Bernie Kins, I heard something so exciting. The air base is having a contest. misguided Missile. I'd like to enter. Well,
19: why don't you? If it's looks they want, you can win easily.
22: But I need somebody to sponsor me. Would you be my sponsor and submit my picture, please?
19: Please, pretty, please. Hmm. I'd be delighted. And stop pucking your lips so temptingly at me, or so help me, I'll kiss you.
22: So kiss me, I'll help you.
21: Hi, cutie pie. I got news.
8: About the contest?
21: Roger. It's narrowed down to two entries. You and another trim little fuselage. <laughs> but I'm counting on my flyboys to wave you in.
8: Gosh, wouldn't that be thrilling? By the way, Bruce, who is this other girl that's so close to me in the contest?
21: Oh, uh, it's somebody named Sheila Grant.
8: Sheila Grant? <laughs> That's so funny. It is? Sure. That's the girl I introduced to Dad. Wait till he finds out. I'll bet he has a good laugh about it. His daughter and his girlfriend competing against each other. <laughs>
19: He'll probably get a kick out of it when he finds out that you and oh, Sheila... But Sheila Sheilakins, what am I going to do? I can't ask Margie to withdraw from the contest.
22: I don't see why not. I want to be misguided missile. Well, you're
19: already misguided. I mean, uh, look, now Margie wants to win too But it means more to me I'm starting a modeling career
22: Don't you want me to be a successful model?
19: Mm, Of course
22: I've already been on the cover of the Farmer's Home Companion Really? Of course I was voted Miss Candled Egg (laughs)
19: Oh. <laughs> I'll bet your picture was on the wall of every henhouse in the country.
13: Did you want to see me, Mr. Albright? Pretty. I need some advice. You've come to the right place, my son. Sit down here on Daddy's lap and tell him what's troubling you
19: Well, if I ever sit on you, it won't be on your lap (laughs) And stop needling me I'm in enough trouble with Sheila Trouble? She and Margie are neck and neck for that darn misguided missile contest And she wants me to get Margie to withdraw Well, that's a good idea The thing that worries me is how to get Margie to step out
13: Yeah, you don't ask a girl like Margie to do a thing like that She's got such pride, such self-respect Such a
19: temper (laughs)
7: <laughs>
19: well, actually, winning the contest doesn't mean a thing to Margie And it does to Sheila It'll help her modeling career But I don't know what to do well, I wish I could help you, Mr. Albright Oh, wait a minute, I think I've got it I'll introduce Margie to a certain mysterious stranger What is it, a gag to fool her? Yeah, it's perfect And if it doesn't work, my name isn't Vern Albright
13: And if she finds out you tricked her, your name won't be anything but Mud <laughs>
9: Well, Vern Albright is determined to get Margie to withdraw from the misguided missile contest. He's devised a plan that he's sure will work.
8: Dad, I'm curious. Who is this mysterious person that's coming over tonight?
19: Oh, well, that must be him now. Freddy, will you answer the door?
17: Sure. Good evening. Good evening, is this the blaze? <laughs>
13: Well, this is this place. What place are you looking
19: for? Oh, come in, Professor. Come in. Folks, I want you to meet Professor Hammerschlag. Hammer who? Schlag. Schlag.
8: Gesundheit. Uh,
19: (laughs) I thought you'd all be interested in meeting Professor Hammerschlag. He's an inventor. No, correction, please. A famous
17: inventor.
20: Oh, I'm so thrilled. My second husband, Throckmorton, was always fooling around with inventions. Oh, is that so? Yes. As a matter of fact, he once perfected a device for looking through brick walls. Looking through brick
17: walls? What did he call it?
20: A window. <laughs> <laughs>
17: like a mental case. Professor, maybe you can
13: help me with an invention of mine. For years now, I've had a theory that you can make shoes out of banana skins.
8: What kind of shoes can you make out of banana skins? Slippers.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Brady,
19: whenever I look at you, I wonder.
13: Uh, What is it, Mr. Albright?
19: uh, That's what I wonder. (laughs) What is it? Uh, Folks, Professor Hammerschlag is the man... (laughs) Professor Hammerschlag is the man who invented the new guided missile.
8: How does the guided missile work, Professor?
17: Uh, Well, now, my little poop uh, the secret is in the thermonuclear activity, which is propelled by neutrons that are broken down by electrons until they become ban-ban.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
17: it just creates a cosmic drive to outer space.
8: Uh, do you follow me? I lost you right after a little poopsion.
7: <laughs>
8: <laughs>
17: well, never mind. You're gonna see it for yourself.
8: Oh, see oh. for myself? Oh, well
7: that's why the prof- <laughs> <laughs> Well,
19: well that's why the professor's here, Margie. You see the girl who is named Miss Guided Missile will have the honor of taking the first trip in the Guided Missile.
8: Uh where is the trip going? To the moon, Mars, Jupiter, who knows.
17: The sky is the limit.
8: <laughs>
19: Margie, are you still awake?
8: Yes, Dad. Thinking of going up in that guided missile scares me.
19: Well, don't worry about it. If they don't name you misguided Missile, you won't have to go. I'll close your door so you can sleep. Good night.
12: Oh, gosh, I'm sleepy.
8: But if I do win the contest, I'll have to go. If I do win, if I do win, if I do win, if I do win,
17: Margie, you've won! Yes, your misguided missile. Oh, how exciting! <laughs> and you shall be honored by making the first trip in the guided missile. But, but I don't want to go up. And-
8: Missile?
19: Too late, Margie. We're already up 60,000 feet.
8: Dad! How did you get into my dream?
19: I don't know. Must have been something I ate.
20: <laughs> Wee! Look at this
8: thing go! <laughs> Well, I'm certainly glad you two are going along with me. How about me? Freddy, how did you get in on this? Well,
13: I figured if I could make the first guided missile trip to the moon, it would be a feather in my cap.
8: Oh, well, this is awful.
19: Well, you wanted to be misguided Missile.
8: How do we stop this thing?
17: Ach, I knew I forgot to invent something for this missile.
8: <laughs> well... What did you
17: forget to invent, Professor? Power (laughs) (laughs)
7: brakes
17: Professor, where are we now? Well, according to the instruments, we are somewhere in a radius Hmm, I'll look out the porthole
20: What do you see?
19: Nothing but smog
20: (laughs) (laughs) Then we must be over Los Angeles The loop. Mrs. Odette, are you strapped in tight? I'm strapped in, but not tight. (laughs) I haven't had a drop.
17: What happened now? Ach, we have run out of fuel.
7: Uh,
20: We're not moving. What's going to happen now?
17: Nothing. We are going to stay up here in outer space forever. Uh, (laughs) Professor, what's the joke? Well, I'm thinking what they're going to say at the asylum when they find out that Ivak's (laughs) cave.
8: I knew we never should have made this trip. Why did they name me Misguided Missile? I don't want to be Misguided Missile. I don't want to be Misguided Missile. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. Uh,
19: Maji? Maji? Wake up!
8: Huh? Oh, oh! Good morning, Dad. Gosh, that was a horrible nightmare I just had, wasn't it? Hand me that phone. I'm going to withdraw from the contest.
19: Well, Sealer, it looks like you're a cinch to win that misguided missile contest. Margie has withdrawn.
22: So have I. Why? I heard that the winner will make the first trip in the missile. And I'm afraid of high altitudes. It makes me lightheaded.
19: Oh boy, you must have been up there a long time. (laughs) What? Oh, I said, uh, I said you might have a good time. (laughs) But, uh, but Sheila, there's nothing to that story. I made it up and introduced Margie to a phony professor to scare her out of it.
8: What? Oh, of all the sneaky tricks. I'm going to get back in that contest Me, too It's too late, girls Mrs. Odets, what do you mean?
20: You are gazing at misguided missile herself
19: <laughs>
20: <laughs>
19: Mrs. Odette, do you mean to say that the men at the air base chose you?
20: Yes, when Margie and Sheila withdrew, the men figured it was best The beautiful girl's picture on the missile wouldn't mean a thing What do you mean? They decided to put a face on the missile that would scare the enemy. (laughs) So I won in a breeze.
8: (laughs) Well, Well, that's that's our our little Mrs. Mrs. Odette.
9: My Little Margie stars Gail Storm and Charles Farrell and is based on characters created by Frank Fox and produced, directed, and transcribed by Gordon T. Hughes for Hal Roach, Jr. and Roland Reed. My Little Margie is written by Lee Carson and Jack Harvey. Verna Felton is Mrs. Odette and Gil Stratton, Jr. is Freddie. Others in the cast were George Neese, Frank Nelson, Hans Conrad, and Gene Tatum. I'm Roy Roy. (laughs) Rowan. Little Margie starring Gail Storm and Charles Farrell will be brought to you next week by Philip Morris.
3: Gail Storm went on to star in another uh, series entitled Oh Susanna where she played a cruise director or a uh, activities director I believe it was on a cruise ship and I remember Zazu Pitts was in that with her. She played Nugi, the manicurist, and the two of them went around and got into all kinds of trouble. I remember that the captain was played by Roy Roberts, and his name was Captain Huxtable, and those are the things I remember about Oh Susanna. That was a television series that came just one or two or three years after uh, Gale Storm starred in My Little Margie. Uh, Just a couple of notes here. As I, I listened to this, I got real curious what Las Vegas was like in 1955. Now, Vegas kind of got on the map in the mid to late 30s, I think. And during the 40s, some of these ideas started materializing. I looked it up. The, one of the first hotels to be built there was the Flamingo Hotel. And that was in 1946. 1946. And the same year, the Golden Nugget opened in downtown Las Vegas on Fremont Street. Now, many of you have probably been to Las Vegas more often than I have. But this, this strip, or Las Vegas Boulevard, runs on the west side of town as you come into town. And then you, you go through this, I don't know, what is it, four or five miles of hotels along the strip, the Las Vegas Strip. And then you kind of go through a regular town until you get to a downtown section where there is a again, it's on Fremont Street, where there's many many uh, casinos, not so many hotels, although one or two of the casinos may have added hotels now. But so there's the strip and there's downtown. The desert Inn, or the Flamingo opened on the strip in 1946, the Desert Inn in 1950. Uh, Also in 1950, the U.S. military dedicated Nellis Air Force Base, which is right there near Las Vegas. The population in 1950 in Las Vegas was only 24,600. Then in 1951, they opened Binion's Horseshoe. That's downtown. In 1952, the Sands Hotel opened and Casino. That was on the Strip. In 55, the Riviera Hotel and Casino opens. That was the first one that was considered a skyscraper, not a skyscraper, but not a a low-to-the-ground hotel. I don't know. I've stayed at the Riviera uh, in its original form. I don't know how many floors it had, maybe 8, 10, 12, something like that. Then in 57, there was the Tropicana Hotel. And in 1959, they opened the Las Vegas Convention Center. So really, there was only about five or six hotels on the Strip in 1955. I remember the first time I went to Las Vegas, and I was probably 17 or so, and all of the bright lights, when you think about it looking like daylight at nighttime because the lights are so bright, that was all downtown. The Strip had some impressive signs, but most of the hotels sat back off the, the main boulevard and they had parking lots in front of them. But all that changed within the next, I don't know, 15 years or so. And all of the buildings started moving out toward the street. And the signs got much brighter and bigger. And now it's amazing. If you've never been there, when you drive down Las Vegas Boulevard, which is the Strip, you can be there at night and it is bright as day. It's it's just unbelievable. It's something to see. Las Vegas has never held much appeal to me. Uh, As a regular town to live in, it might be all right, although a lot of traffic, especially on the weekends. Of course, you learn how to maneuver around without going up and down the strip. I used to have to go there for business somewhat frequently and usually by myself. And I would find myself uh, going down and getting dinner and then maybe walking through a casino for 10 or 15 minutes just watching people gamble. Because back then, the only place you could gamble in the country was Las Vegas. And I'd watch it for a few minutes and I'd go upstairs to my room and read or, or uh, watch television. I'm not comfortable in that kind of environment. By the way, it was in 1951 that Frank Sinatra first appeared at Las Vegas. I believe that was at the Desert Inn. And it was also in 1951 that they first did a nuclear bomb test 65 miles north of Las Vegas in the desert. In fact, the Chamber of Commerce started advertising places uh, where you could get good vantage points on watching these kinds of explosions. And it became a real fashionable thing in Las Vegas to do things like have an atomic cocktail or have your uh, hair done in the atomic hairdo or uh, have a beauty contest named Miss Atomic Beauty. People just did not appreciate The Dangers.
14: Bright light city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living, the devil may care and I'm just a devil with another spare So viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas How oh, I wish that there were more than 24 hours in the day Even if there were 40 more, I wouldn't sleep a minute away Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel, a fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is a strong heart and a nerve of steel. Fever, Las Vegas, fever, Las Vegas, fever, Las Vegas with your neon flashing and your one-armed bandits crashing, all those down the drain. Las Vegas turning day into night time, turning night into daytime. If you see it once, you'll never be the same again. I'm gonna keep on the run, I'm gonna have me some fun, it cost me my very last dime. If I wind up broke, will I'll always remember that I had a swinging time. I'm gonna give it everything I've got Lady, look, please let the dice stay hot Let me shoot a seven with every shot Beaver, Las Vegas Beaver, Las Vegas Beaver, Las
18: Vegas Vegas. Vegas. Beaver
3: Well, he became Mr. Las Vegas, didn't he? Elvis Presley. You know, he actually appeared in Vegas all the way back in 1956, just a year after that episode of My Little Margie. But it was in 1969 that he began the first of 835, I think it was, sold-out performances. First at the International Hotel in one of the largest showrooms in Vegas at that time, I think it was 2,000 seats. And then he went over to the Las Vegas Hilton. And that's where he played for the balance of his uh, of his Las Vegas career. Okay, just to finish up this thought about Verna Felton and this comparison, this is a clip of Verna Felton that you just heard in My Little Margie.
20: Oh, I'll never forget a trip I once made. I went from Chicago to Cleveland, then back to Chicago, then on to Pittsburgh, then back to Chicago, and then...
3: Okay, now here is a clip of Wellington Casper speaking to Richard Diamond in the first show we heard
6: tonight. Casper Wellington. I need a bodyguard, Mr. Diamond. Oh, it's not for myself. It's for Timothy. Someone's trying to kill him, but they feel it's not quite important enough for them.
3: All right, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I know that they like to play with things like this on some of these old-time radio shows. There's a number of shows where I've heard well-known celebrities, and they have purposely used Phony names, and I don't know why they did that. But that sounds to me like Verna Felton trying to disguise her voice. But who's to say? Dark moon, dark moon, moon. Dark,
12: moon, dark, moon dark moon, away up high up in the sky. Oh, tell me why, oh, tell me why you've lost your splendor. Is it because, is it because I've lost my love? Dark, blue. Dark blue. Mortals have dreams of love's perfect scheme. Your splendor Oh, tell me why, oh, tell me why dark moon. dark moon What is the cause, your light with cause? Is it because, is it because I've lost my love Lost love, lost love Mortals have dreams Of love's perfect scheme Your splendor, tell me why, oh, tell me why. Dark moon, dark moon. What is the cause your light withdraws? Is it because, is it because I've lost my love?
3: Oh, yes, Gale Storm was a singer, too. That was uh, recorded on Dot Records with Billy Vaughn's orchestra in the background. That made it all the way up the chart to uh, number four in April of 1957, Dark Moon, as sung by Miss Gale Storm.
7: No. Oh!
3: that music means, it's time to go back to the 1870s. We're in the Old West in Dodge City, Kansas. We're walking through the dust of Front Street, shoulder to shoulder, with Marshal Matt Dillon, upholding the law. Along the way, we're going to run into Doc and Kitty and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. The episode we're going to listen to tonight was written by Les Crutchfield. And he wrote a lot of uh, very human episodes, uh, human stories. And that's what we have tonight. This is a good character study, but more than that, it's sort of a a lesson in greed. I guess you could could put it that way. This one was originally broadcast on CBS on the 10th of November, 1956. Now, I am releasing this show on uh, November the 4th. And Tuesday, of course, is the 6th, which is Election Day. Keep that in mind because I want to play something that William Conrad uh, recorded at the end of this show uh, after we've listened to Gunsman. So here we go. This is from November 10th, 1956. It's entitled Probate Bomb. And what, Chester? No. No, Chester, nobody ever called me probate growing up. I had some nicknames, but they weren't. It wasn't Crowbait. Thank you for asking. The name of this one is Crowbait Bob, and here it comes. <laughs>
0: I smart alecks make me so mad. Act like they think about it. he ain't got a lick of sense in his head. Honest and truth. Honest. I, I swear to goodness, Mr. Dillon, these times a man's got to choke his words right back down in his crowd, keep him starting up a ruckus. Oh, what's the trouble, Chester? Well, th- There's a fellow over at the Dodge house, a-, a traveling drummer out of Baltimore, and you know what he said? Now what he said. He said they got a railroad train over there in England somewhere that goes 150 miles in three hours flat. Oh,
2: is that so?
0: He said they'll have trains like that here one of these days, going clean across the country. In 30 or 40 years, according to him, a man can get on one in New York City and get off a week later in San Francisco. You don't say. Well, now, you don't believe that, do you, Mr. Dillon?
2: Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see, Chester.
0: Well, I don't believe it. A human body just ain't built to go that fast. It'd get a man's innards all out of whack, choke him to death trying to breathe.
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe. The yeah.
0: good Lord wanted a man to go 50 miles an hour. He'd have He'd
2: put been... wheels on him.
0: Well, yeah.
24: Good morning, Matt. Chester.
2: Oh, come on in, Doc.
24: Oh, my, I've just been at the delivery stable, Matt.
2: Well, what's the matter? Is Moss Ma
24: sick? No, it's old Crowbait Bob. Moss Grimmick's been letting him sleep in the hayloft... in return for helping with the chores. Yeah, I heard he has. Well, old Crowbait took sick in the night sometime. He couldn't get up this morning. Well, what's wrong with him? Well, yeah, nothing that 30 years off his age wouldn't cure. And a thousand or so less bottles of gut whiskey.
2: Well, if he's sick, we ought to get him out of that hayloft.
24: Well, I know, but I can't figure any place to move him. He wants to see you, Matt right away see me what for well i wouldn't say but he claims it's mighty important it's something he wants to do before he dies before he dies Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to make him comfortable matt that's all i can do
25: As as I'm concerned, Marshal, you're the only man in Dodge City that's worth a hoot and a holler. Except Moss Grimmick. Why, but for him and... Uh, Marshal, I'm a goddamn liar. Uh, what do you mean but Oh, there's lots of nice folks here. Of course there is. I reckon the only ones I'm really talking about is that high highfalutin niece of mine and that sneaky old husband of hers.
2: And I was, uh... Wondering, Bob, if uh, maybe we ought to let Ruth and Elbin know about your being sick this morning. No,
25: sir, no, no, let them know nothing. Let them sit out there in the precious ranch and rot. Ain't showed me no care for years.
2: Well, uh, it's up to you, I guess.
25: Hey, Marshal, the reason I sent for you is uh, because I want to make my will. Make a will? Oh, I know, I know, it... Don't seem likely or worth this old coot like me and have a reason to, but that's where you're wrong.
2: Well, Bob, I, I'll do whatever I can, you know that.
25: Well, i only got one thing to leave. And us see, it's here. Yes, it's right here in this here leather box. Why not you to take care of it for me, Marshal? See, that ain't open till after I'm gone. Ah,
2: Bob, that'll probably be years soon.
25: Oh, no, no, you don't know. Doc's trying to fool me, too, but uh, I know where I stand.
2: All right, Bob, I'll take care of it for you. Look, uh, Doc's gone after a rig, and we're going to move you over to the jail, huh? At least you'll be warm there, and there'll be somebody with you. And I'll uh, write up a will of some kind, and oh. you can sign it.
25: Yeah, I'm much obliged to you, Marshal. That there box is mighty valuable. I want to be sure the right party gets it. Sure.
2: Uh, who does it go to, Bob?
25: It goes to Miss Kitty.
2: Huh? Kitty Russell?
25: Yep. Yeah, she's a fine girl, Marshal. Just a golden angel, that's what she is. Just a golden angel.
15: looking for you, Matt.
2: Hello, Kitty. Ah, How does it feel to be an heiress?
15: stop it. That's all I've been hearing for the last three hours. (laughs) How's the old man, Matt?
2: We got him moved over to the jail, Kitty. fixed up a cell for him, and Chester's staying there this evening to look after him.
15: Must be terrible to know you're dying. Be all alone like that with nobody of your own.
2: Yeah. I, uh... I asked him about sending for his niece, Ruth Guttler, and her husband, but uh, he was dead set against that. And I don't
15: blame him. Not the way they've treated him.
2: Yeah. yeah it seems like they might have done something for him.
15: They could have found a place for him out there in the ranch. So he drank too much. Maybe he had a reason to drink. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he is worthless, but he never meant any harm to anyone.
2: Yeah. Uh, all right. I, uh... I didn't know that you and him were so thick, though. Uh, I
15: treated him like a human being, that's all. No.
17: Good evening,
24: Mac and Kitty.
15: Hello, Doc. <laughs> well, Kitty... I hear you're about to inherit a million dollars. <laughs> That's foolishness, Doc. <laughs> Old Bob never had two quarters to rub together. <laughs> never can tell now.
2: Well, at least you get it, Kitty, whatever it
15: is. Well, I wish yeah. he hadn't done it, Matt. I didn't expect any payment.
24: Payment for what?
15: Nothing. Forget it. Matt,
24: you mean you didn't know? Didn't know what, Doc? doc? you
15: keep quiet Where now? do you
24: think crowbait has been getting his meals? All
2: right. Suppose Mars at the livery stable was feeding him.
24: Mars has been letting him sleep, there's all. Doc, if you don't Why, touch- Kitty's
15: been feeding him for the last two years. Oh,
2: Kitty, is this true?
15: All right. What of it? They waste enough food here in the long branch to feed ten men like him. Didn't cost me anything. It was just... Oh, come on, let's have a drink.
2: How's it going, Chester? Fine, Mr. Dillon.
0: We got visitors.
2: Huh? Oh, uh, good evening, Miss Goddler. Alvin. What brings you people into town?
10: You know, dang well what brings this marshal.
11: Poor Uncle Robert, laying back there, sick to his death, maybe, and this upstart saying we can't see him. Yes. Upstart? Well, I'll be now switched up. Now, just take it easy, Chester. Take it
2: easy. Poor old Uncle Robert. Uh,
10: would that be Crowbait Bob by any chance? Marshal, now you're insulting a dear relative of my wife.
11: What a thing to call Uncle Robert. Why, we had no idea he was took down and ailing this way. No, I don't
2: suppose you did, since you haven't spoken to him in the
10: last five years. Well, that was just a family misunderstanding, Marshal.
11: When one's own kin is took bad sick, about he would be mighty heartless if they didn't let bygones be bygones. Yeah, sure. Why, I even brung him some nice chicken broth and baked him a egg custard pie.
2: That's real thoughtful of you, Miss Gutter. You must have heard the rumors, rumors about him turning out to be wealthy.
10: Why we hadn't that heard a That dance hall ever. girl ain't getting one cent, Marshal.
2: No, sir. We'll take her to court. Why don't you do that, Elvin, if you know some way of beating a legal well, will?
10: Well, he was out of his mind.
2: Doc and I'll say different.
11: You... We demand to see him right this minute.
2: I'm sorry. He left orders against it.
11: Well, then take that food back to him and tell him who brung it. That'll change his mind.
2: All right, Chester. Yes, sir? Take this back to the cell, with him.
0: All right, he's asleep the whole little while. Well, before.
2: if he's asleep, just leave him.
0: All right,
11: sir. You be sure and tell him we brung it. Oh, I'll hire a brass band and tell the whole cousin
10: John. Now, Marshal, you know that's a terrible thing. A woman like that to undermine a a man's feelings for his own kinfolk. Look, Albin, if you want to do something
2: for him, why don't you pay off some of his bills around town?
11: Pay off his bills? That's
2: right. Ten or fifteen dollars to Moss Grimmick, twenty or so to Wilbur Jonas at the general store. Why
11: don't he pay him himself if he's got all that money? Now, wait a minute,
10: Ruth. It might just make him stop and think twice if we was to pay him off.
11: Pay out good money on bills, that worthless old coot Oh, shut up, Ruth. All
10: righty, Marshal. We won't bother you no longer. We'll be going now.
11: Been, what are you? Come on,
10: about? Ruth. Well, good night, Marshal. Uh.
0: <sighs> Mr. Dillon.
2: Huh? What's wrong, Chester?
0: We better find Doc in a hurry, Mr. Dillon. That old man don't look too good. It's a mighty good pie, Mr. Dillon. Even if old Miss Gudler did bake it.
2: Yeah, it looks real good, Chester.
0: Makes a man feel kindly of funny eating it though. No? Uh-huh. Well, I reckon old Crowbate wouldn't want it to go to waste. No, I don't think he would. Mm. I wonder what is in that box, Mr. Dillon.
2: I don't know. But we'll find out as soon as Kitty comes over.
0: Died in his sleep, Doc said. Peaceful as anything. Mm hmm. Uh, uh, if you really ain't gonna eat that last piece of pie, I haven't my... eaten
2: any of it, Chester. Why, why don't you finish it, huh? Yeah, it oughtn't
0: to go the way it started. No. Mm.
2: Oh, oh, Kitty. Kitty, come on in.
15: Doc told me, Matt. I'm real sorry. Yeah, I know, Kitty. Poor old fella. Well, I hope he had a good life somewhere back along the line. His last years sure weren't very happy.
2: Uh, well, here's a box, Kitty. It's all yours.
15: I wish he hadn't done it, Matt. Why not? Oh, I don't know. Looks like I did things for him just because I expected something.
2: I just felt sorry for him, that's all. Well, I wouldn't count any chickens ahead of time I don't
15: even care what's in it. It's just that I... Marshal.
2: Oh, come in, Elvin. Marshal. You tricked us.
15: All that good hard cash paid out for... You folks
2: acquainted with Miss Kitty Russell here? I
15: know who they are, Matt.
2: Yeah.
10: How do you figure I tricked you, Elvin?
15: How do I... Well, them
10: bills are his. I paid out $86.40 in that old soak before I run into Doc, found out he'd died. And him without even knowing
11: what we have done for him.
15: You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, mighty fine talk
11: for you doing his kin out of what's rightfully there. Oh, you beady eyed old
7: ghost. Why are you little hussy her- he on you can do wine All right, settle ass. down!
2: So you think I tricked you, huh, Alden? Well,
10: you don't think I'd have paid them bills if I'd known he was that far gone. And
2: I thought I was giving you a chance to do something decent for once in your lives.
11: We ain't responsible for his debts.
2: No, not legally. Well, now he's gone
10: and died. He left all his wealth to this here... this here woman.
11: The way I hear, that box is full of diamonds and emeralds.
2: Whatever it's full of, it belongs to Kitty, so you may as well forget it.
10: Forget it? When a fortune that's rightfully owned is laying right there on that table? And about to slip through our fingers? You get your hands up, Marshal. You too, Chester. Elbin.
2: Albin, that was a real foolish move you just made. You know. Now you hand over the gun.
10: Stay back, Marshal. I'll, I'll shoot.
2: Elvin I said hand over the uh, gun.
10: Marshal, Marshal, so help me. If you take one <gasps>
20: more... St-
11: you hit him! You hit Elvin!
2: All right, drag him back and lock him up, Chester. Yes, Mr.
11: Dillon. All right, come on. You're locking up Elvin.
2: Assault with a deadly weapon. Judge Bent will figure it's worth about $100 in good hard cash, Miss Guttler. And courts at 10 in the morning if you want to be there.
11: But what'll I do tonight? Why don't
2: you get yourself a room over at the Dodge House and meditate on your sins?
11: My sins? Good
2: night, Miss Guttler.
11: Oh,
2: Well, now I suppose uh, you want know, to take a look at your diamonds and emeralds, huh, Kitty?
15: Can't we just burn it, Matt? Not even open it?
2: Uh, Crowbait wouldn't have wanted you to do that.
15: Yeah, uh, I know.
2: Anyhow, but... you got too much curiosity to do something like that, and you know it. Yeah.
15: Well, you win, Matt.
2: Okay, let's see now. Yeah, I guess if we... Break the seal on the catcher. There we go.
15: Matt, it's full of banknotes.
2: Yeah. Confederate banknotes, Kitty.
15: Well, what do you know? You suppose he thought they might fight the war over again someday, Matt? Yeah,
2: maybe. Now, wait a minute. There's something underneath it.
15: Mm-hmm. Oh, what is it, Matt?
2: It's an Army Medal. Bravery in Action. Field citation. Awarded to Lieutenant Robert Danford Conroy.
15: So that was his name? For
2: conspicuous heroism during the storming of Chapultepec Heights, September 13, 1847. Signed, General Winfield Scott, Commander-in-Chief, United States Expeditionary Forces in Mexico.
15: Here's a silver dollar, Matt.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Well, at least that's worth something.
15: Look. There's a ribbon. Yeah silk hair bow tied to a curl, lock of hair. Matt, I wonder who she was. Well,
2: whoever it was a long time ago.
15: Metal, a curl, dollar, a box full of worthless paper. Story of a man's life, Matt.
2: Yeah. And there have been worse stories.
15: I'll keep the curl and the metal. And you know something? What? We'll spend the dollar on a drink.
2: <laughs> All right, Kitty, I think I'd please him. Come on.
23: Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Meston. The music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Ray Kemper and Bill James. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke.
3: Originally broadcast on the 10th of November, 1956, that was Gunsmoke. Name of that episode was Crowbait Bob. Wasn't that a good story? Very warm, and you really really wanted to see them get it at the end, didn't you? And uh, they got what they deserved. Uh, That was good. Les Crutchfield wrote that one, and he, like I said, wrote some real human, uh, not human interest, human compassion, fellow feeling stories. He was very good at that. Now, I mentioned earlier, I I don't know if you're like me, but are you tired of turning on the television and every other ad? Two out of three ads are all political ads. It just seems like there's been one after another uh, for months now. Well, at the end of this episode of Gunsmoke, guess what people heard? Now, remember, this was originally broadcast on November the 10th. So it was right before Election Day. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you William Conrad.
2: Hello, this is Bill Conrad, dropping the role of Matt Dillon for a moment to remind you to cast your vote next Tuesday in one of the most important elections of our time. After you've voted, don't forget CBS Radio is going to be reporting to you over this station the election story with the most comprehensive coverage in broadcasting history. Be with us next Tuesday, won't you? After you've voted.
18: You want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, well you might find you get what you need. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I went down to the demonstration. My fair share of abuse Singing words gonna bend our frustration If we don't, we're gonna blow A 50 amp fuse Sing it to me You can't always get what you want Just by far You get what you need oh, baby yeah. oh. I went down to the Chelsea drugstore To get your prescription fee I was standing in line with Mr. Jimmy It is. We decided that we would have a soda. My favorite flavor, cherry. I sung my song to Mr. Jerry, Yeah, and he said one word to me, and that was "day." I said to him. my phone.
3: Man, when you hear that, don't you always immediately think of the movie The Big Chill? That is boomer music. That is boomer music in its purest form. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. We'll be back next week with our archive show in two weeks with an all-new show. And I hope that you uh, appreciated or enjoyed, I should say. That's a better word. I hope you enjoyed our selections tonight. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, Chester and I have been trying to come up with some different shows that we haven't played before. All right, that's it for this time. Uh, this is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by tonight and I'm so glad you met me.